Hi, welcome to BL Podcast. Chennai-based Waycool is one of India's leading agri-commerce firms. It has come a long way after it was launched seven years ago. The firm operates in South India and Maharashtra and it also has some outlets in the United Arab Emirates. It buys from farmers across India and also apples from about 110 orchards abroad. Vekul co-founder and managing director Karthik Jairaman is with us to share his company's plans and its way forward. Welcome sir to BL Podcast. Can we have some insights into what Vekul has been doing till now and its way forward? Uh, we are a seven-year-old direct supply chain company. We work with a large base of farmer or near-farmer organizations such as FPOs mm. to procure raw products and produce. Fresh produce, grains and staples and milk is what we buy. Where applicable, we process these and then uh, distribute these through our network of distribution centers to a large number of retailers. We deal with 55,000 retailers every month. What we call as monthly active users are 55,000. Our uh, customer base is 100,000. And we are present in exclusively in southern India. We include Maharashtra and southern India. And we tend to stay focused in this geography. We deal with about about, uh, about 2,000 tons per day of food, 40% of which is fresh produce, and the rest is grains and staples and dairy products. So that is our business. We work with about uh, actively at any given point in time, we are buying from between eight and 10,000 farmers. Our farmer base is about 150,000 as we uh, speak. We run a network of 52 distribution centers, 20 odd collection centers, and uh, we have a network of 22 processing partners through whom, for example, dairy plants, uh, repacking units, etc., through which the supply chain operates. The value, I guess, what we try and bring to the table is that uh, all of this operates on one single integrated technology stack. So, you know, I'm sure there are quite a few farm to fork companies that you have met, which have an app through which the retailer can place an order. We have the same thing as well. But we also have the entire backend laid out on the same platform. For example, if you are a retailer, you will probably place an order on me at 7 p.m. today for delivery tomorrow morning. I have already predicted your demand. And I have placed a uh, corresponding order to the collection center, which in turn picks up the material from the farmer. So uh, equally, I am uh, aware of what the farmer supplies. They may not supply what we ask and the quantities that we ask. So there will be a difference. But I have to fulfill your requirement. So we have real-time tracking of goods in transit. And, uh, you know, at the at midnight, we know the gap between supply and demand, which we are able to place as an order to our Mandi partners and therefore achieve, uh, you know, good fill rates as far as the customer is concerned. That's really what we do. Essentially, we are a supply chain company. And uh, the idea is that we use technology to improve both the efficiency and responsiveness of the supply chain. We do a few additional things uh, uh, over and above this. There are some additional services that we offer to our retailers. For example, the retailers that have been with us for long, we enable credit for them through lenders. So they can apply for this credit digitally through our app. And uh, based on the transaction history, there are NBFCs which offer them credit lines of 30 days, 45 days, etc. That makes their business easier. And the rates are quite reasonable. Similarly, with the farmers, we have an agricultural extension platform called Outgrow, where farmers can receive a a large number of advisory services. They can get soil health tested. 
they can get weather information uh, both at micro and micro level so we have a device which if they buy they can get micro level weather information otherwise they get it from the usual uh, you know government weather map sources etc uh, disease detection is possible so we have trained our e artificial intelligence for about 71 diseases so they can use the same smartphone app and take a photograph of the leaf and it will give with the, uh, 85 to 90 percent accuracy tells them what is the disease what is the cure to be done and there is a call center available if they want further inputs monday prices are available transparently so that they also get to know if they deal with us what is the price they get if they deal with the monday what is the price they get they can take a rational choice based on that the intent is to bring transparency and uh, we have a set of uh, we have our own uh, practitioners for regenerative agriculture and uh, reduction in the use of artificial inputs which we share as videos of good practices uh, through the same app itself so the idea here is that we don't want to be a transactional partner with the farmers we want to engage with them and uh, help them along in their journey towards more value per acre lesser inputs per acre and so on. We are not, we are not uh, activists. Uh, we are not necessarily advocates either, but we make the practices available so that they can choose on their own what they want to follow and take it forward. Yes. So when was this launched and what are the basic objective? Uh, we launched it in July 2015 okay. and uh, the serious ramp up began in April 2016 onwards. For us, each of us had a different motivation to come into this space. I, I come from the manufacturing industry and I also had a stint in management consulting before that. Obviously, the manufacturing industry perforce has to be competitive when it comes to supply chain management. So that is my learning. And, uh, you know, when you cross 40, you start wondering about whether you can put your skills to some use and... Uh, you know, you're, uh, you go up Maslow's needs pyramid and maybe you're looking for a different set of needs to be satisfied. So I had started getting restless about continuing in the same industry. I thought uh, maybe we can put our skills to better use and more people benefit out of it. My co-founder Sanjay was the person who suggested that we look at food as a space because this was the time when a lot of unorganized supply chains were being organized. And food is something that affects all of us. I mean, 70% of the country is involved in production and 100% of the country consumes. So our thesis was that, look, this is a very disparate supply chain. It is a very fragmented supply chain. Uh, historically, there is a reason for the fragmentation. Our farms are small and therefore they do not produce enough to fill a vehicle. And they also produce highly variable grades. Consequently, there is a number of intermediation steps required to grade, sort, and consolidate to reach an economic transport quantity. Equally, our purchase behaviors will are uh, such that we buy small quantities frequently from neighborhood stores. The best estimates available are there are 12 million such stores. And naturally, every store buys very small quantities and they replenish almost every second day or third day. Consequently, that full truck that is coming into a big city needs you know, disaggregation and re reorganization. So there are many intermediary steps. Now, we keep reading about middlemen uh, extracting supernormal profits. I think the reality is a little more nuanced. These, uh, uh, these intermediaries perform an essential function in what is a fragmented supply chain. However, there are two issues that we saw. I mean, we actually, what we used to do was in the weekends, we used to drive back in reverse down the supply chain, starting from the wholesaler all the way back to the farm, just to understand what is happening in each step. That is when we discovered that there are between 5 and 11 intermediaries involved in every product and everybody was there for a purpose at that point in time. However, there are two effects of this. One is costs, the second is losses. 
costs get added up because every intermediary has to eke out their living 3% 7% margins second repetitive transport and handling starting from the tvs 50 that the first intermediary uses to the tata 8 that the last intermediary uses there are costs involved bagging charges people will transfer from bags to crates and then again to boxes all of those costs get added up in the supply chain this these are the costs uh, there are also losses i mean uh, uh, we we still have the overhang of pl for uh, 458 or something as they call it right 450 days of supply uh, shortfalls but frankly we are a food surplus country uh, it's the it's another matter that we don't produce what we need to produce and produce what we don't need to produce uh, we are exporting our water by producing excess rice and sugar and selling it out and uh, we are importing pulses and oil which we need to produce more of but that's a uh, th- that is also a problem but uh, we produce enough but we also lose as much food as what brazil consumes in a year and those losses are partly because you know in this long supply chain people don't handle the product properly and there are physical losses along the way if you take uh, spinach spinach loses 23% moisture in 6 hours which means the farmer supplied one ton i am getting only 750 kg if it is if it is not handled the right way but there is a subtler loss which is uh, the mismatch between demand and supply all food chains are supply led which means the farmer produces somehow takes it to the market somehow sells it and gets cash and comes back in reality they should be demand led the reason is yes supply will be volatile supply has seasonality effects supply has climate change effects which are now real and there is a third effect which is an avoidable effect which is uh, the bullwhip effect uh, because uh, a small fluctuation at the one uh, the consumption end results in a large swing in perceived demand in the farmer end Uh, but demand is inelastic in fact demand is slowly becoming season irrelevant also people want apples throughout the year which is why we import apples 9 months of the year so if demand is so stable if the demand is made visible to the production areas they will obviously not trust you initially but at scale they will start trusting you and align their uh, production to demand and in demand led supply chains are always more efficient this is what we learned in the auto industry lean manufacturing etc is around demand led supply chain so that is that was our thesis and we wanted to try out whether our skills are relevant over here and that's really how the company started and uh, there were three enablers which we felt uh, made it appropriate at this time one especially in south india the roads are better which means i can reach the farm and i can have predictability of my transport uh, that was the first uh, enabler the second enabler was of course digitization Uh, the access of smartphones the increasing usage of smartphones not just i must thank youtube and whatsapp so i think they have increased smartphone usage across the board across socio economic clusters but people are comfortable relatively to use this the third is digitization of money this supply chain was historically lubricated by cash and the sources of those cash were not always the most sanitary post demonetization post a lot of that uh, introduction of digitization and jandan accounts it is possible for an organized compliant player like us to transfer money digitally and that brings trust into uh, such an operation so these three enablers were already set up and we thought we should write those enablers and try a direct supply chain that was the origin of this very good the term did way cool it was an uncreative engineer's name we were evaluating several projects and when we were looking at the food supply chain we thought initially it will be a cold chain and therefore we just picked uh, the name way cool for the project okay. now when i went to the registrar of companies they said quickly give me a name i have no sure. other thing so i said please make this the name there's no intellectual thought behind it where all uh, 
vehicle operates today yeah we operate uh, we operate across southern india including maharashtra so we are present in all the states and union territories of southern india and maharashtra except goa we will launch goa at some point in time Uh, this is where we sell we also sell into the uae because the diaspora there is from the same region okay. uh, and the supplies also about 18% of uae's food comes from india so it makes sense for us to operate in these geographies so you are exporting we export also into the uae we have our own operation in the uae our buying is uh, has to be national because a lot of the products are across the country and in fact it is global also because our customers want apples through the year i import apples from more than 22 countries we have partnerships with 110 orchards and we import from all these countries so our buying is global with of course a large india component and within that a large component from maharashtra karnataka andhra pradesh and tamil nadu which are big producer states and our selling is into southern india and uh, and uh, all this is done via the, i mean it's a b2b or a b2c it's a b2b platform we work with retailers our uh, small retailers are our customers It's an app which to be seen the whole. Thing. It has got both app and physical sales force. Okay. Uh, in some uh, cities and some areas, the app usage is very high. For the others, we cover with our physical sales force who go out and meet about thirty-five customers a day. Where are these uh, app usage low? Because that it also means that people are either uncomfortable or the uh, or the internet access is a bit. Uh, so, uh, if you take uh, cities like Bangalore and Chennai and uh, so on, the app usage is very high. particularly among the folks who are in the fresh produce business uh, fruit and vegetable shops they are relatively more comfortable because for them uh, i mean they, their alternative model was to go to the wet market and buy so this is something that they are willing to adapt for dry uh, grocery shops supermarkets etc there is conservatism because they are used to a, a person coming and selling the product every week they are used to sales people coming on a beat it's not inability but it is just uh, you know they comfortable with that comfort. kind of model the comfort factor exactly we have started seeing app usage there also since we introduced our financial uh, products because for the financial product it has to be self service it is they, they will get the otp etc the sales person cannot intervene there once that was introduced they have started uh, adapting to the app uh, a little more but this is the background so you were saying that you know you try to analyze what could be the demand for next morning from yes. a particular buyer and so on. So yes. you will use the AI or machine learning or AI. Yes, it is know. necessary. It is necessary to do that, and uh, it is used in multiple layers. Okay. Uh, the first is forecasting, like you rightly said. We now have six years of data, and therefore uh, the quality of forecasting is starting to improve. Uh, one is, of course, the past consumption of our show, our customers, but it's it's not restricted to that. given the recent volatility in terms of climate etc some of those have to be factored in in terms of buying behaviors when lemon prices shoots up lemon is something that people can manage uh, with surprisingly small quantities so that it is relatively more price elastic so elasticity is a factor that has to be layered the onset of festivals and other such elements has to be layered uh, extreme weather events has to be layered such as monsoons so uh, once we do that we start getting better and better we would we uh, you know very early on we spotted that there were 23 types of buying patterns so each of those 23 types of buying patterns we are uh, gathering more data learning better and better and getting better at forecasting so this is one area where this is applied the second is uh, we also have a, a set of gig workers who go and benchmark prices from various wet markets and dry markets okay. that uh, we do about 2400 data points a day 
that also in the short term we use it to back calculate the target price for our farmers okay. in the long term we use that to see trends and see what's going on and therefore start uh, you know predicting a little ahead i mean being in the commodity space you know how predictable or unpredictable these are but we have some data now we think we can do some work in that area so that is another area where some um, basic machine learning is applicable there are two other areas where we apply some artificial intelligence one is uh, we also provide some recommendations to our retailers here uh, you know we are seeing some interesting patterns if you take the city of chennai uh you know the assumption is that you will sell ponni maybe from manachennallur or uh, nellur into that uh, region but that's not really the uh, perfect assumption if you go to belts such as manapakam or uh, uh, ramapuram you will find that i can sell what's known as hmt rice from andhra pradesh or uh, mirialguda and i will get a premium for it because the audience is from that region and this data now we are able to get for from two or three sources one is the buying pattern in from our own retailers the second we are layering data from google demographic data etc to understand what is the pattern of demographics in these geographies for example if you take a somewhat trivial example matunga will be very similar to mailapur okay. uh, nowadays it's of course cyan uh, nowadays actually panvel and washi but in those days matunga was very similar to mailapur Uh, we are finding that Jayanagar ninth block has a substantial Tamil population. Even uh, Chembur in Bombay. Chembur. So uh, I mean, as Bombay became expensive, we migrated from Matunga yeah. to Chembur and now to Ashi. And now my in-laws have migrated back to Chen- Chennai because it is cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah. Uh, so there are such patterns with which we are able to make recommendations. The value of this is, you know, when you offer the right choice to your customer. your customer is willing to pay you a fair price for the product the retailer's throughput as well as net realization improves and the retailer sticks with us for me the advantage i deal with all kinds of south indian rice so delivering the rice to the retailer is not a problem it is have bringing this intelligence which is valuable and we are starting to see some traction because of this we introduced ponni in bangalore for example in certain pockets like halasuru and we are getting good response so that is uh, one uh, place where again artificial intelligence is used the other place which is most interesting is in the farmer side where uh, as i described we have an agri extension platform called outgrow we use uh, ai for two activities one is early disease prediction using weather data uh, this is very critical for products like potato pomegranate and grapes if the fungus comes on to the grapes then uh, you lost the crop and uh, predicting that early is something that will allow the farmer to take action faster so we have reached 85% accuracy in pomegranate blight and a couple of uh, diseases on grapes using this data the other is disease detection where you are using images we now have about a million images uh, with which we are able to identify 71 diseases in 20 crops uh, using ai so these are the areas where uh, artificial intelligence is applicable there are many more areas but this is where we have started work So, so I mean, I go by you. Uh, AI and ML are really, uh, you know, taking agriculture to a different uh, plane, plateau, or really elevating agriculture to a different, uh, different plane now. Yes, uh, I think agriculture can become agile and precise uh, with uh, the use of artificial intelligence. It is starting to mature. I mean, the early attempts had their uh, limitations, but it is starting to mature. In fact, I am just back from a meeting with Wageningen University. 
where they already have algorithms for late blight detection of potatoes, prediction of po on potatoes. Uh, so it is a simple API which you can plug in into your app and uh, it will help the farmer in a good way. And this is necessary, particularly given the effects. Of the, I mean, we are at the forefront of climate change, whether we like it or not. Some uh, ability to predict is required. But, uh, what I hear is Cargill is also doing a similar one. Qualcomm is actually tied up with some groups and others right. have also started. Correct. That really looks very promising. I would want to know how many farmers have broke into supply TV 1 and 2. How many uh, buyers you have from this side? So we have, we have a base of more than 160,000 farmers, 1,60,000 farmers. Across the country? Across the country. Okay. At any point in time, we will be buying from between eight and 10,000 of them because of the harvest cycles. But actively, we would have bought from at least 85 to 90,000 of those farmers. Uh, you know, we are, the relationship building is quite gradual. You know, a few farmers from an FPO will come supply to us. Once they spread the word, more farmers will come to us. So that is the way it goes. And we let it be gradual because trust has to be built in this business. But yeah, around 80 to 85,000 farmers have actively supplied to us either directly or through FPOs. And uh, the base is over 160,000. And all these people are across the country, not uh, across the country. Any yes, concentration will be in Tamil Nadu, uh, Andhra Pradesh, uh, Karnataka and Maharashtra okay. with some farmers from Telangana. Uh, now some farmers have started supplying from Kerala, for example, pineapple. And uh, of course, Punjab is a belt that we that supplies uh, you know, Shriganganagar supplies uh, citrus fruits, Madhya Pradesh. These are the belts that we buy from typically. Our customers are about, uh, we have 100,000 customers uh, in our database. Okay. Monthly, about 55,000 of these buy from us. These are typically small retailers. Includes the UAE. Uh, includes the UAE, yes. UAE is a very small market. It's primarily India right now. And uh, about 55,000 retailers buy from us. And apart from this, you have also some some people from who you import uh, fruits or like yes, sir. We, we import from about a hundred orchards, hundred and ten orchards to be precise, uh, across both the hemispheres, northern and southern hemispheres, because northern hemisphere gives it for six months, and southern hemisphere gives it for the other six months. Their respective springs is when you get the harvest. So, yeah. Talking about the interesting aspect where you said you started doing the reverse thing, going from the small trader who you were selling till the farmer and you said about 12 to 13 hands which you yes sir dry groceries like staples it will be about 11 uh, intermediaries okay. because you will have a, a primary agent who picks up from the farmer then you will have the mandi trader uh, who is going to help you trade for example in hungund or nargund or places like those then you have some preliminary processors who basically de-husk do some basic cleaning etc then you have people who store, then you have speculative traders, then you have millers. Post millers, you have packing, repacking, wholesaler, distributor, and then the retailer. So dry staples, there are quite a few intermediaries. So a few, a few years ago, I think at least about seven, eight to 10 years ago, MCX data study of mm. wheat from the farm to the fork. They right. said about uh, nearly almost 17, it changed almost 17 hand. And in some cases, you know, it changed from A to B with only the margin being added and no value addition. But I find, I find only the virus receipt is traded. You're right. Yeah, Those but, are the speculative traders. Yeah, but so, what you're saying is interesting. Saying each, you're found each one finding uh, performing a particular role. 
Yeah, most of these guys have a role to perform. There is one layer of speculative trading that does happen in certain commodities, but everyone has a role. Uh, so there is an aggregation role, there is a storage role, there is a processing role. There are enough roles in the supply chain to be played by various people. It is aggregation and disaggregation that uh, results in a lot of layering and uh, speculative trading does exist in dry commodities. Where else uh, is it trading? What made me uncomfortable is you're saying that somebody even charged 7%. Oh, yes, sir. 3%, 7%, 10%. These are the types of commissions that you see. A fresh produce, that is the type of commission that you see. Dry groceries, obviously, the commission will be lower. And uh, your plant, you said BOA, but what are the other plant plants? Sir, we are doing a few things. Number one, uh, we will stay focused in southern India. We understand the, the, the customer well. We understand the supply chains well. But we have a lot to penetrate. I mean, this southern India alone is estimated to have around 4 million retailers. We would like to be working with at least quarter million of them on a regular basis. So there is considerable amount of penetration to be done. The second is uh, we want to build more capabilities in each of the supply chains. For example, we recently invested into a company called SV Agri, which is based in Pune. SV Agri has some very interesting capabilities. Uh, they have a joint venture with Agrico of the Netherlands. So whose help they have developed seven varieties of potato uh, and they're developing eight more varieties of potato which are suitable for Indian conditions and are very very climate resilient uh, given the kind of monsoon vagaries they're very very resilient potatoes they also have unique properties such as very low sugar levels for diabetic patients and so on so uh, this is core IPR and we uh, you know at the end of the day you have to bring something new into the industry and not just be an intermediate so we are building those kind of capabilities. SV Agri has also developed a unique method of growing these the seed potato tubers through aeroponics, which means you can produce the seed tubers throughout the year uh, rather than only do it during one season. And that makes the productivity better. They, uh, they, we have another joint venture with a Dutch company called Mooi, M-O-I-J, where we are converting the cold storages to uh, ventilated cold storages. And when you do that, the sprouting is reduced, the, the shelf life of the potato is increased, the overall quality uh, is preserved better. In fact, we're working, we're talking to them to see whether we can build one of the first onion cold storages in India. Historically, onion is not cold stored. Yeah. We want to see whether we can do it over here. And the reason is very interesting. People say that the moment you take the onion out of the cold storage, it rots very fast. The reason it rots very fast is water condenses on the onion and water on onion also transpires water. How do you dry the onion is the problem statement over there. And there's technology available to do that. So we want to bring that and build a pilot plant. If it works, we can introduce cold storage for onion also into the country. So these are the kind of technologies that we want to bring in. Another example is uh, we've launched potato flakes recently in the market. This is a very convenient product for chefs to use. And it is also good for the producer because in case there is a surplus supply of potato, potato has a finite shelf life. Flakes have a two-year shelf life. So uh, it uh, preserves the product and therefore retains value for the product. So those kind of innovations is what we want to bring in each supply chain. If we do that, I think we will bring sustainable benefits to the farmer and we will also bring stability in the supply chain. The intention is to reduce volatility in the supply chain. So this, these are a set of capabilities that we want to introduce. The third is a lot of the technology that we have developed was for our own use. But we are getting increasing inquiries saying, can I take your entire agri stack and apply it in, for example, in Africa or in Europe? 
uh, to work with my farmer. So there are companies that buy from the farmer who say, can I use this stack? We are open to that. In fact, we are forming a technology subsidiary that will make these available as a SaaS solution for these players also. So these are the three directions in which we will grow. Uh, you said that you launched the company in July 2015, and then you yes. started actively recruiting in, in 2016. The last six years, yes, sir. what sort of transformation have you seen in uh, agriculture and farming? Uh, I'm sure that the last two years during COVID, I think we have seen real, I mean, really take off technology, really take off because uh, you know reaching people was, was a problem, and then farmers had to sell all their uh, produce, and also they started to depend more on. Uh, you know, apps, internets, and websites, and other things. Yes. But, uh, but including all these things, uh, what sort of changes have you seen in agriculture, technology-wise and production? I think uh, I would classify this into three or four categories. The ones where uh, the maximum experimentation has happened and continued interest in experimentation is there is in market linkages. Uh, this is also because there are more companies in this space now. There is more aggressive uh, investing into this space by uh, various venture capitalists. And for the farmer, it's a simple thing to do. It's a transaction. So they, that has been the place which saw maximum adoption and COVID really drove that. Because in during the first lockdown, there was enough supply. There was enough demand. There were no intermediaries. So uh, Mondays were closed per force. So they had, uh, uh, you know, the, the need to adopt technology grew and market linkages rapidly grew. The others follow a more gradual rhythm. I think there are quite a few, for example, uh, platforms that are offering advisory and input services. These are seeing increasing adoption. And uh, uh, there are geographies that are very good at it. Maharashtra, for example, has been very good at adopting uh, app-based inputs and advisory services. And that is the next uh, element where we are seeing increasing traction among the farmers. The third is really on the precision agriculture uh, micro irrigation, uh, indoor agriculture, etc., which is which is following with a lag, to be honest. Uh, I think there the wealthier farmers or the ones that have more to lose, such as grape farmers, uh, are faster in moving that, moving in that direction. But uh, the rest will take some time. For example, drone brace spraying, etc. Of course, we had an issue on the drone policy itself, which has now been resolved. Uh, but it will take time for the farmer to genuinely adopt these and do it at scale. Equipment rental platforms was an area which I thought had a lot of promise, but I realized that, you know, anyway, the farmers are leasing the equipment from somebody they know. So the platform didn't solve as much incrementally as they thought uh, it will. You know, combine harvester people, they're, they're always traveling all over the place renting their equipment. The platform added less than what they thought they would have. So in terms of adoption, market linkage has been the maximum adoption. Inputs and advisory services has been the next. I will say financial services is not some has shown promise, but not performance. Uh, agree financing, again, because of verifiability and factors like that. I think some distance needs to go uh, for that to be adopted. Uh, the uh, usage of precision agriculture follows with a lag. That has been my observation. You were saying something about the drone. What was the problem? No, we, did, we the drone policy was not clear earlier on, if you remember, okay. sir. Now it's uh, now the government has been backing drones very, very solidly. They're supporting. Because they're supporting in a very big way. Question is, what are the economics? What is in it for the farmer to use a drone is something that has to be demonstrated to the farmer. We will see as we go along. I think one of the universities in Andhra Pradesh or Telangana, they are trying it. 
and they have reported a better productivity correct it's logical sir, because precision spraying is possible okay. uh, one is your cost of spraying should come down okay. second is you should be able to target the spraying it's not just productivity i suspect residue levels will be lower and what we hear is that even any problem with the plant detection uh, disease yes. detection that also is improved so correct. i think those could come in handy for you for the ai and ml and other things correct so don't start the, or that early is detection you want to apply drones you are absolutely right if you can use multispectral imaging and uh, observe the uh, the fields from above then uh, we can predict uh, with given greater accuracy the potential onset of diseases and pests that and is that, a very clear application and the government is supporting service based drone applications yes that's correct so that is what you were mentioning that's correct sir okay. sir and uh, what about your funding then other so uh, we raise funds as we need it we use a combination of debt and equity we use equity for growth we use debt for working capital and asset creation from that perspective we are a relatively conservative uh, uh, company uh, we don't use uh, equity indiscriminately we have eight uh, large impact investors uh, impact and developmental financial institutions as our backers we have raised close to 150 million dollars so far we have uh, i mean nearly half of it is still left with us we continue to raise uh, on the basis of for us finding the right investors as important as finding the right amount of money uh, not all investors can operate in this environment the mistakes i make this year will be known next year so this requires patient capital it requires capital that comes with guts attached and uh, we'd rather work uh, we've been fortunate in having eight investors who have demonstrated this and have been very steady hands and we'd like to continue working with those kind of investors so if you find a good investor we'll onboard them and we'll welcome them into the company with the with the capital and the other benefits that they offer and, and what i want to know the other one is how our policies impacting your relationship with the clients as well as i mean your seller and buyers i think uh, this is an area where there is alignment across the spectrum on the need to uh, you know provide solutions it's still the largest employer it is still a sensitive area while we are out of the woods when it presently on supply supply disruption possibilities remain real as we know so i think uh, uh, intent is aligned policies are moving at different velocities uh, i think uh, usually it is two steps forward one step back as we know but uh, i think uh, we have only seen support in every state we operate we have seen only support i think the from the agricultural officer to the secretaries they have been extremely supportive of our effort we have got a lot of guidance the amount of knowledge that is resident in these states is non trivial and what a maha fpc does or what a tnau does is uh, truly phenomenal stuff we got a lot of guidance in fact we have a lot of partnerships now with institutes we have partnered with icar iahr we have a partnership with uh, niftem that is uh, our uh, indian institute of uh, food processing technology triple uh, id dm is a partner for us national design and research forum dr mailsami annadurai has uh, introduced partners to us so there's a lot of institutional knowledge there, there hasn't been a bridge between academia and industry because industry has been unorganized in this case we hope to bridge 
and uh, create that. So I think this is an area where there is alignment on the problem statement. There are the approaches that vary by state, and the center has its own approach. Usually, uh, we have found support uh, across the spectrum in uh, implementing. Otherwise, it's very difficult. So in this space, uh, very, very difficult for a company to do it on its own. And, and you have been able to break even or, or not? Yes. We cover our variable costs. We are yet to cover our fixed costs. OK, sir. It's been nice talking to you. Anything else, I might get back to you. Sure, sir. Definitely. Ventilated cold storages for onions, innovations in cold supply chain, all these look very exciting. Thank you very much, sir, for your valuable insight.